Hey, this is Brian with Mid-City Vineyard Church. Mid-City Vineyard is located in the heart of New Orleans, Louisiana, and we worship on Saturday nights at 6 o'clock. If you'd like to learn a little bit more about us, check us out on Facebook, Mid-City Vineyard, Instagram, at Mid-City Vineyard, or online, midcityvineyard.org. This week, we kicked off Advent as we are moving now towards Christmas in this time of awaiting the arrival with great expectation of the birth of the Christ. And so we are in a series now called While We Wait, Advent 2017. And this first week, we entitled it Stay Awake. Thanks for checking us out. Much peace to you. And let's head on over to the teaching. It's like we are, we are going to actually follow uh, the lectionary uh, for the next couple of weeks throughout Advent. And if you're not familiar with this, I'll just uh, I'll briefly explain here that uh, throughout church history, the lectionary uh, has been used for churches uh, as they worship together, where it's, it's different sections of the scripture have been allocated for particular weeks uh, throughout the entire Year. So basically the church calendar, uh, when you look at the church calendar, though we are ending our year here in 2017, here as we go through December and we come to a new year in January, uh, the actual church calendar begins fresh. At, this is the beginning of the church calendar year right now. It begins this week or next week, technically, if you, uh, depending on how you look at it. And it, the church calendar begins every year uh, four weeks before Christmas with Advent. Advent, uh, meaning the the awaital, uh, the awaital, the awaital, <laughs> the awaital of Christ, the awaiting or the arrival, uh, as we expectantly look uh, to Jesus and and the birth of Jesus and or the second coming of Jesus eventually, and so we are going to use these lectionary passages over the next couple of weeks, and I'm just gonna I'll tell you how this works right out uh, out of the gate. The passages, in some cases, some years are, are easier to understand than others, but the passages are the passages are a little obscure. They are uh, quite interesting, and uh, they, in some way, or shape, or form, they need commentary. They need the, they need to be uh, uh, looked into at a deeper level and, and and understood together as a community. And so that's what we're going to do uh, over these next couple of weeks. And so, as we begin tonight, we're going to begin with a reading out of Isaiah. The way the lectionary works is normally you have an Old Testament passage, you have a psalm, you have a New Testament passage, and you have a gospel passage. It would take me hours and hours to preach on four different passages uh, in one sermon. So, we're going to be looking at the Isaiah passages and the gospel passages over the next couple of weeks. And tonight, as we begin with the Isaiah passage... Uh, Isaiah chapter 64, verses 1 through 9. I want to give you a little bit of context in how this works. Uh, Keep in mind that when the prophet Isaiah uh, was writing this particular uh, book, the prophet was speaking to the people of Israel. So when Isaiah wrote this passage, Isaiah was not writing this to Mid-City Vineyard in 2017, uh, nor anyone else. Isaiah was writing this to the people of Israel who were currently being held in captivity. They were, they were basically slaves uh, in Babylon at the time. And so they were being ruled by an empire. 
an empire that did not necessarily have their best interest in mind, uh, an empire that was ruled by rulers who had the ruler's best interest in mind. Uh, it might look a lot like, uh, you could probably draw a lot of parallels for modern day times, uh, but that's what was happening is Isaiah's writing and he's saying these things uh, to the people of Israel. And so in Isaiah chapter 64, verses 1 through 9, I will read this and I encourage you, I put it on your outline, you can go back later this week and read some of this. But this is what Isaiah writes. It says, O oh God, that you would rip open the heavens and that you would descend, that you would actually make the mountains shudder at your presence. Like when a forest catches fire, or when a fire makes a pot of water to boil. That you would shock your enemies into facing you, and that you would make the nations and our enemies shake in their boots. You once did terrible things that we never expected. You descended in, and you made the mountains shudder at your presence. Since before time began, no one has ever imagined, no ear has heard, no eye has seen, a God like you, one who works for those who wait on you. You meet those who happily do what is right, who keep a good memory of the way that you work. But how angry you have seemed to be with us. We've sinned and, and we kept at it for so long. And so now we wonder, is there any hope for us? Can we be saved? We're all sin-infected, sin-contaminated. Our best efforts are grease-stained rags. We dry up like autumn leaves. We're sun-dried. We're blown off by the wind. No one seems to pray to you any longer or makes the effort to reach out to you. And you seem to have turned away from us to let us stew in our sins. But still, God, we say to you, you are our Father. We are the clay and you are the potter. All of us, all of us, are what you made us. So don't be too angry with us, God. Don't keep a permanent account of our wrongdoing, but keep in mind, please, that all of us are your people. All of us are your people. Obscure in a sense, right? It's kind of like, okay, how do you kick off Christmas with, with a message like this? At the heart of Advent, the season of Advent, at the heart of waiting upon the arrival, at the heart of a waitle, we're going to just coin that now, is the promise of peace. At Christmas time, when we talk about the Christ, the anointed one, being born in a manger, coming to the world. We talk about God in the flesh, as John says, that God in the flesh actually is born and becomes one of us. God in the flesh, human, moves into the neighborhood. That's what Jesus does. That's what the, what the anointed one does. And when the angels come, they say, what, what, do you remember? They say, peace on earth and goodwill towards men. The angels declare that, listen, here's what's happened. Peace has come to the earth. Peace personified. We all understand that in times uh, uh, of great chaos, we would say that we see evil personified. Do we not? 
I mean, we've, 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 we know what evil personified looks like. We've seen it in the hearts and in the eyes of men and women at times. But peace personified is when the anointed one comes. And that's the promise of Christmas. That's the promise of the arrival of the Christ. And yet, I would suggest that it's difficult for us to actually move towards this journey of peace without first coming to, once again, an understanding of where we've been, where we currently find ourselves, a, a place of coming to some form of repentance and extending forgiveness towards two others and receiving forgiveness ourselves in the things that, that we desire to be forgiven for. And here's what's going to happen. I think that Christmas, it, first off, Christmas is my favorite time of the year. Just hands down, I, I love Christmas. I love everything about Christmas. I love Christmas trees. I love the ornaments. I love the smells. I love the really cold weather that we don't get. Um, you know, I, I just, I love the Christmas carols. Uh, the whole way home from Dustin today, we listen to Christmas music. I love all of it. And one of the things that comes along with it, and, and a lot of whether or not you love Christmas depends on how you were raised. Because if you have bad memories of it, then you don't love it the way I do. I have good memories of it. But one of the things is there always seems to be this sense of hope for peace along the way. That something is being birthed. Something is happening here. As we move into the new year, January, as we move into a fresh start, so to speak. But people are going to be looking over the next couple of weeks for peace and hope in all kinds of places. People are going to be looking for peace in family relationships and in family ties. People are going to be looking for peace in, in how they go about giving gifts and hoping that maybe they can, they can literally buy the perfect gift that's going to bring peace between a relationship between them and someone else or, or receive the perfect gift. People are going to buy things and it's going to make them feel good about themselves because they got such a great deal and it's money that maybe they, they know, you know, I would have never spent this, but I got it for half price. And so now, I, you know, and we look for peace and we f we're searching for it in all kinds of different ways. Maybe it's the, the family dinner or maybe it's, it's, it's that particular Christmas carol that just resonates within us, whatever it might be. But we're looking, we're searching, those of us in this room and those all around the planet and this community. But the thing about it is, is that you actually can't, and you know this, you know this here, but my question is how much do we know it here? You can't buy your way to peace. You can't manipulate your way to peace. You know, some of us in the room and, and, and all around our community and all around the world, I mean, there are, there are fractured relationships and we desperately want to see those mended. And yet, for so many of us, because we don't know how to do relationships, we try to figure out ways to manipulate our ways back in, manipulate our way back into those relationships or manipulate someone to feeling a particular way about us. And maybe, maybe it is. It, it could be any form of manipulation that, that you might um, think works for you or they think works for them. But we're looking, we're looking, we're looking, we're looking. And I would suggest to you that real peace and real hope can't be bought. It can't be finagled. It can't be manipulated. There's something that takes place deep within the soul of a person. There's, there's hope that comes from a much deeper, richer source that can only truly be experienced in our lives when we start to 
to, to see the move of the divine all around us. I, I read this week that true peace comes from actually opening yourself up to hope. And true Christian hope is what is ultimately left. I, I lo- I, I'll read it word for word because I love this so much. True Christian hope is what's left when your worst fears have been realized and you are no longer optimistic about the future. Now, in a way, that sounds like the most pessimistic, devastating quote. Hope comes when your worst fears have been realized and you're no longer optimistic about the future. Doesn't that sound, in almost by definition, like hopelessness? When all optimism is gone? When there's nothing left. And yet, that's why it's Christian hope. Because if you begin to think in your own mind, what are some of your worst fears? What are some of your worst fears? Don't, don't call them out loud. You don't have to. You, I guess you could. But we start to think, well, my worst fear is this or this or this or this. Uh, if my worst fears were to be realized, what would I do? All hope would be gone, so we think. And so, because we think that, you know what we do? Is we create lives of illusion. We create ways in our lives to make sure that our worst fears will not be realized. We think that we can control the situation. That way, our worst fears will not be realized because if our worst fears were realized, then there would be no optimism. There would be nothing left. And we do it in all kinds of ways to keep ourselves, keep our heads above water, to avoid the pain of fears unrealized. And when we live our life this way, I would suggest to you that there literally is no peace. So, for instance, if if you homeschool your child because of fear, because of fear of who will speak into their lives or how they will be formed or shaped in the local school. If you homeschool your child out of fear, there are other reasons to homeschool your child, but if you homeschool your child out of fear, then you will forever be working to create a bubble that keeps your child protected And you will never have peace because you will always be wondering who's going to get the next word in to my child. What else do I need to protect them from? If you fear, or if your happiness is tied to your 401k, if your happiness is tied all around to your finances, then you will ultimately fear another 2008 taking place. And you will live your life trying to always figure out how to stay one step ahead so that that doesn't happen to you. And yet, do you realize that people in 2008, it hit them blindside. It was like a train that came out of nowhere. And when people whose lives were wrapped up in their retirement, when that came to happen, Because that's where their happiness was. Their worst fears were realized. They had nothing left. If you've been hurt in relationships and you've been hurt in love and your worst fear is that pain again, then you will never be able to give your heart 
to another person again. You will never be able to experience that love again, and you will guard against it at all costs. And when we do these things, when we set our lives up in this way and in this, this, um, this illusion of control, you can't have peace. I was talking to Christy about this on our way home today as she was driving 100 miles per hour down I-10 to get us home. And I, was, I, I really started to think through what are, what are, I mean, really, what are some of my worst fears? And, and this is not my worst fear, but this would be, this would be a, a really good example for me. We're a, we're, a, we're a small community of faith. And right now, our, my, my livelihood is tied to this community of faith. You guys, I mean, we've talked about finances here before. And, and right now, Mid-City Vineyard and the way this is set up um, is that Mid-City Vineyard has chosen uh, to, provi to provide for our family through the giving of our church. And it, 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 it dawned on me. It's like, well, you know, there are certain things sometimes as a pastor that, well, what if you feel like the Holy Spirit is leading our congregation and our, our people to a particular way, uh, to a particular thing. And, and, and how often might it happen that, well, if I were to say that, somebody might get upset and somebody might leave the church because that's how, that's how we've been brought up to do. And we just have, you know, so we don't agree with whatever it might be. And so we leave. And then that's a fear of mine. It's like, well, what if, what if you left? What if you left? What if that changed the financial situation of the church? What if, that, what if that changed the dynamics? What if all these different things happened? And you know what that fear would do to me as your pastor? Is it would cause me to not sometimes maybe say the things that I sense the Holy Spirit leading us into as a church. Because, well, Holy Spirit, if I say that, then Angie might, she might get upset with that. And she might not want to be a part of this anymore. Now, I know you guys don't fear that because you're not standing right here. But th those kinds of things keep me up at night. And so my prayers are, dear Lord, dear Lord, dear Lord, please don't lead us down too crazy a path. But then I'm like, oh, that's crazy. I want to be led down a very crazy path, and I don't want to be held back by fear. I want us to be a people who are free to do what the Holy Spirit's calling us to do. And the only way I can really have peace in this vocation as pastor is to follow through on what the Holy Spirit said. What is it for you? What does it look like? And ultimately, though, where does the real hope come? The hope comes from in the fact that when some of your fears have been realized, and it doesn't even look optimistic, there's still this Christian hope that God is still in the process of taking all the stuff in your life and somehow working it for good. I'm not saying God caused it, but somehow taking that stuff and working it for good and that God is in the process of intervening, that God is in the process of redeeming and restoring all of the world. That even though our circumstances at times might seem bleak, they might seem impossible, we are a people, and this is what, this is what Isaiah is saying, that we're a people that still learn to open our eyes and recognize God in the presence, in the ordinary, in the everyday, the mundane, in the difficult circumstances. What is the divine doing? What is the divine doing in these moments? So here's what it looks like. In our society, would you agree with me 
that there are grave injustices all around us. Would you agree that there have been injustices inflicted upon you in your life? Maybe even in the last week. Would you agree that there are major disappointments all around us? Would you agree that there is great fear all around us? Would you agree that maybe you have actually contributed to the disappointments of others? Maybe you have contributed to the injustices in our community or in your own family or in the world. Maybe you have been one that has provoked fear or invoked fear upon others. Maybe I have. Maybe we're just as much part victim as we are part offender. And maybe in this time of advent, of awaiting, expectation, maybe we, as those who look to the divine, are being called into this place of laying down the injustices, laying down uh, the fears, laying down the disappointments, allowing these things to come to the surface and saying, here's what it is, God, and yet in the middle of this, we're asking that we would see you in our own lives and in our own community. This is what we want to see because as those who follow the spirit of the divine, may we understand that even in the midst of all of it, God is still at work. That is the heart of Advent. There's this one line in there where Isaiah says that God Divine One, we are the clay and you are the potter. And so my sister-in-law is a potter, like a real legit potter. And so I asked her for this lump of clay right here. This, this is a lump of clay that she brought to me from her studio. It's, 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 you see that? It's like, it's disgusting. <laughs> oh, man. So this is what it is. This is, this is the real deal. Do you realize, my sister-in-law, you see those chalices that we place on this table right here? Those chalices? This is how they started. This right here. My sister-in-law created those chalices that are on our communion table tonight. Those chalices that hold the, the juice that we use for communion started like this. This is literally what Isaiah is saying. Isaiah is saying to, to the divine, we are this lump of clay and we give ourselves over to you and we ask that you would form us and shape us. And in the face of injustice, in the face of fear, in the face of disappointments, what we say to you is that as this, as this lump of clay, we still give ourselves to you and we are still expecting good things from you, God that you will be faithful to form us into something good and true and beautiful. That's the promise of the divine. And this is where Isaiah says, and so God, we're holding you to it. And we're inviting you to do this. So tonight, yeah, I need something because this is funky. So tonight, as this part of our, of our worship together. This is what we're going to do. Uh, I'm going to pick the guitar up, and there's an actual, it's a very old song. Some of you might be familiar with it, and it's just a, it's a, it's a way of preparing our hearts in, in this season of Advent. Um, 
And as we begin to sing this song, I'm going to invite you to come to the table. And we're not sharing communion yet. The first time you come to the table tonight, I want you to think about where have you experienced injustice? Where have you contributed to injustice? Where have your fears been realized? Where have you experienced disappointment? And I'm going to invite you to light a candle, one candle. There's probably enough for everybody. And there's a bunch of lighters, so you can just come two, three, four, five at a time. But you come, and we bring it together as a community of faith. We bring our stuff together, and we say, you know what, this is, this is where it is. And it, the injustice might be something that you've put upon someone else, or it might be something that you've personally experienced, or maybe it's something that you feel deeply for our world. It can be anything. Everybody has a candle to light. But we collectively bring it together tonight. And then that table will be lit like a Christmas tree. And we will begin to process and think through what are we going to do with this together. So why don't we stand? And as I begin to lead us in this song, uh, I'll invite you just to start making your way. And, and then once you've lit your candle, you can make your way back to your seat and, and uh, stand or sit. And you can uh, worship in song. And just uh, if you would like to sing or if you just want to reflect on the words, it's a really, really easy song. See, then what happens as we move into the Gospel of Mark, where in the Gospel it's a really, again, it's kind of, it's kind of this strange fitting together, where in Mark chapter 13, verses 24 through 37, this is the passage that millions and millions and millions and millions of Christians all around the planet uh, will observe and read and look into this week. So Mark chapter 13, verses what did I say, 24 through 37. This is what uh, the passage says. This is Jesus' words. Jesus says, so here's what's going to happen. The sun will fade out. The moon will cloud over. The stars will fall out of the sky. And the cosmic powers will tremble. And then they will see the Son of Man enter in grand style. His arrival filling the sky, no one is going to miss it. He'll dispatch the angels. They will pull in the chosen from the four winds, from pole to pole. And so Jesus says, take a lesson from the fig tree. From the moment you notice its bud form, the merest hint of green, you know that summer is just around the corner. And so it is with you. When you see all these things that I've mentioned, you know that... He is at the door. And don't take it lightly. I'm not just saying this for some future generation, but I'm saying it for you also. These things are going to happen. Sky and earth are going to wear out, but my words won't. They won't wear out. But the exact day and hour, no one knows. Not even the angels, not even the sun, only the Father. So here's what I want you to do. Keep a sharp lookout, for you don't know the timetable. It's, it's like a man who, who takes a trip. And upon leaving, he puts his servants in charge, and each one is assigned a task. And commanding the gatekeeper, he says, stand, watch. So, I want you to stay awake at your post. I want you to watch. You have no idea when the homeowner is returning, whether evening or midnight or, or when the rooster crows or, or in the morning. You don't want him showing up unannounced with you asleep on the job. So I say to you, and I'm saying to all of you, stay at your post. Keep watch. Stay awake.
another bit of a strange passage. So here's what happens. Jesus is actually lifting much of this passage out of the book of Daniel. The book of Daniel is where Jesus lifts many of his quotes from when he looks back into the Old Testament. Ezekiel or Daniel, these are two of uh, Jesus' favorite books, apparently. But what Jesus is doing is he lifts this. This is what you would call apocalyptic literature. You hear that word apocalypse thrown around a lot. Apocalypse is like end time kind of stuff. And there's all kinds of freaky, weird, end time kind of stuff in the scripture. But basically, here's what the apocalyptic vision looks like in general. It's the the understanding that there is a rebellion. There is a rebellion of dark forces against the goodness and the love and the mercy and the kindness and the graciousness and the beauty of the divine. And there are evil and dark powers and forces that are fighting against this amazing divine. And it's the idea in apocalyptic literature, when we find it in Ezekiel, when we find it in Daniel, when we find it throughout the New Testament, in the book of Revelation, when you see some of these different things and you might not understand them. Here's, here's the bottom line. It's this idea that things are kind of bad and just as you think they couldn't get any worse, then the author usually says, just hang on a little bit longer. Because the divine is breaking in. And there will be an intervention when God will make all things right again. And this is what's taking place in in Mark 13. Jesus is saying, look, you're going to see all this stuff. You're going to see all this stuff. It's going to be taking place. You're going to be seeing crazy stuff all around you, which we would have to say, yes, absolutely, we do. And yet, he says, but here's what I want you to do. Do not become desensitized to it. Do not become just used to it, but instead, stay awake. Be prepared. Watch and be on your guard. Kind of know what's going on. Stay diligent. Stay awake. It's kind of like this. Uh, I had some friends when I was in my young 20s who used to live above a bar next to the train tracks in Hammond. If you've ever eaten at Coretta's Restaurant, uh, Coretta's Grill in Hammond, uh, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Because right there, there's, there's, a, there's a set of train tracks. These friends live top apartment, bar below, train tracks. And I used to go, husband and wife, Micah and Sherry, I'd go to their house. And I'd sleep on their sofa. And it always happened that at 2 o'clock, like the train just comes barreling down the tracks and I'm on the sofa and I'm sitting up wide awake. I'm like, oh my God, that was awful. And the next morning, guys, how do you sleep? Uh, How do you live in this apartment? And they're like, what are you talking about? The train, two o'clock. Oh yeah, yeah, we don't even hear that anymore. We don't even hear that anymore. I promise you they heard it the first night they slept in that apartment, didn't they? Have you ever found yourself, maybe even recently, when you hear of a mass shooting and you say, yeah, kind of like, you know, like they used to really bother me, but now I'm just kind of kind of like the thing. I'm kind of used to it. It's okay to admit that here. You know what's happened is you've become desensitized. Or, oh, yeah, there's another, you know, people in Somalia or the people in Ethiopia or the people in Nigeria or the people wherever. Yeah, there's another, you know, there's a... Genocide taking place. Man, it's just awful. Like, (laughs) are we listening to ourselves? I would suggest that in some way, shape, or form, we're falling asleep. 
or falling asleep, we become desensitized to whatever it might be, to the injustices, to the fear, to the disappointment. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. Wake up. Wake up. And this is what, this is what Advent is. This is what Advent is. It's this waking up. It's this like, wait a minute, here's what's going on. There's something beautiful happening. Peace is coming, personified. The spirit of the living God coming here, present with us. May we not fall asleep to what God's doing all around us. So here's the challenge for you and for me. The next four weeks, we're leading up to Christmas. May you not be so absorbed with neon signs and fantastic sales. Go do that stuff. I'm, I'm not a, I told you, Christmas is my favorite time of year. But may we not be so absorbed that as the people of God, you forget to stay awake and look and practice what is God doing here and now in front of your face. What's God doing at your work? How is God forming you? How is God shaping you? How is God forming and shaping and interacting with those that you work with? May we not become so just routine. This is just what we do. But may we be awake to the things of God. This is what the gospel of Mark reminds us. Be awake. Be awake to what God's doing in the world, in your life, all around you. And this is how it would conclude. This way of being awake, I want to suggest to you that this has the potential to actually lead you to real and restful peace. Think this through. You want peace. I want peace. The Prince of Peace, peace personified, is here. What would it look like for you to take your worst fears and actually hand those to the divine and say, even if those were realized, I still trust you. What would that look like in your life? Real and restful peace, I suggest, will come as we pay more attention the presence of the divine right here with us, wherever we find ourselves. And so tonight, as we conclude, here's what we're going to do. First off, on your outline, let me say this to you. There are a few exercises that I want to uh, encourage you towards. Keep your outline. There's something for Sunday, for Monday, for Tuesday, for Wednesday, for Thursday, for Friday, for Saturday. I desire for us as a community of faith to, to keep, to stay awake in the midst of the chaos, in the midst of the busy, stay awake to the things of the Holy Spirit in this season. And so my challenge to you, my encouragement is take 10 minutes every day, morning, afternoon, evening. It doesn't matter when. And the exercises that we've put on there are super easy things. I think one of the exercises one day is sit outside by yourself for 10 minutes and just look for God. It's like, where do you see God? Where do you see God? Allow these things to, to take care of your soul. To take care of your soul during this time. So take your outline home. I encourage you to practice those things this week. And then tonight, as we conclude, we share communion together.